0: This is the next section. In chapter 17, this section, John provides a commentary on the preceding scene of the bowls being poured out on the beast and Babylon, bringing them to their end, by explaining what the fall of Babylon will entail. But it also sets the stage for the next section of the coming of Christ to establish his kingdom on earth in place of Babylon. The religious idolaters side of Babylon is seen in Revelation 17 and the commercial side of Babylon is seen in Revelation 18. So in 17 and 18, we see the fall of Babylon and 17 is the religious side of Babylon and 18 is the commercial side of Babylon. There is no recapitulation in this section for this is the end of Babylon. Now this is important to understand. My view basically is that everything that four and five Okay, Four and five are Christ taking the throne after his death and resurrection and ascension. Uh, Very few people dispute that. There are some who see that as a future thing. But it is 6 through 16 that we start diverging a lot. Was this already fulfilled? Um, during right after the time of Christ, that's the Preterists. Remember, what are we, Preterists does not mean that they deny the second coming of Christ. There's a very small minority called Full Preterists who do, but most Preterists, the vast majority, just believe. That all these events of six to sixteen were already fulfilled immediately after Christ, with the fall of Rome, and that, well, specifically the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. and the exile of the Jews in 135 A.D., which is the two major events in their history, and that then, when we kick into by, usually by chapter like 21, 22, uh, there's definitely that's all future. Christ is coming back and restoring all things. If you're a futurist, all of those things are yet to be fulfilled in some future seven-year tribulation, and then Christ returns. If you're an idealist like me, um, you believe that this tribulation period of chapter 6 through 16 are all happening between this first and second coming of Christ. And they're all just happening at different stages, simultaneously, repetitiously, recapit- recapitulation, all that kind of stuff. No matter who you are, Every believer that's true to the biblical message that Christ is coming back literally physically one day, everybody ends up agreeing that at some point revelation does go future. Okay, And that's clear. I, I still believe a lot of the language is metaphorical because it's apocalyptic. But remember, there's very real concrete one and only truths behind a metaphorical idea. When you're saying, watch the sunset, that's not literal. It's a metaphor. But there's only one concrete idea and truth that is behind that metaphor. It doesn't mean that it's not true. It doesn't mean it can be anything that you want it to be. It just means that it's a metaphor for some concrete truth idea. And so even though I still believe a lot of this is metaphorical, that does not deny the reality that there is a singular truth behind that idea that is being communicated and that that is literal. Everybody agrees at some point this gets future because Babylon obviously is metaphorical. I mean, even if you're a futurist, you believe it's just metaphorical of Rome, or I just believe it's metaphorical of Rome and everybody else. But we all agree that Babylon is metaphorical because Babylon is no more. And, and God says in Isaiah that he is going, Isaiah 14, fourteen fifteen somewhere in there. We just read it last night as a family. So um, in Isaiah, God says that I will lay Babylon to waste and it will never, ever, Ever be rebuilt again. Okay? So that, that shows it's clearly this is metaphorical. The beast, whether you believe it's a literal, singular, future antichrist that's to come, or you believe like me that it's multiple antichrists that have come and will continue to come, and one day there might be a bigger, better, bigger, worse version, that's probably a better way to say it, a bigger, worse version out there, it is very clear in chapter 16 that they're dealt with. There's, there's this idea that if you, so if you believe it's a singular individual that is yet to come or it represents an institution or a system, chapter 16 makes it very clear that the kingdom of the beast is dealt with. Chapter 17 is going to make it very clear that Babylon is come to an end and is no more. And then chapter 18 will make it sure, clear that it's come to an end. And then 19 is clearly Christ physically coming to the earth. Okay, there are lots of little things I can point to here and there, and I kind of already have, but I think it's so clear that when we get to 16, that we're dealing with some kind of final conclusion of the judgments. No matter how much I believe that they just keep happening over and over and over again throughout the time between the first and second coming of Christ, 16 has much final language. The language is the kingdom of the beast was thrown in the darkness. The kingdom was brought to an end. God brought, the, 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 the earthquake, the breaking into space, time, and matter at the end of chapter 16 is super climactic. It, it's, it's a big deal. Chapter 17, we're going to start seeing Babylon is destroyed. Babylon is no more. The harlot that rides the beast is no more. And then chapter eighteen we 're going to see the end, and then, in nineteen, all of heaven 's going to praise the end of babylon it 's no more and no matter whether how literal or how metaphoric you are, we all agree that this is the ultimate empire, either the ultimate final empire, futurists of the Antichrist, or the ultimate just world empire that is constantly there all the time in the background, being led by Satan is clearly done and over with by the end of chapter 18. And then in 19, Christ shows up literally, and we're going to see that. And then there's this final battle where everything's done. And then when we get to chapter 20, there's the resurrection of all people. And so where in 15 and 16 do we start moving into the future and final days? I don't really know. If you're a futurist, you will say, well, that happened way back in chapter 6. If you're an idealist like me, I am right there with you by the end of chapter 16. And so I think that no matter who you are, this final, ultimate, dealing with climactic language makes it clear that we're getting into the future. We're getting the future. And some preterists will still say we're in the past in 19, but by time, and maybe a little bit in 20, but by time we get to 20, 21, everybody is on the same page. We are in the future. I think that's clear. So at this point, we should start merging more and more into coherence until we get to chapter 20, because then there's lots of disagreement on that one too. <laughs> but but 17 and 18 is, everybody's pretty much on board that this is the end. This is the end. The language of Babylon's fall, destruction, end, is so absolute and final that it's clear that the city is forever gone, never returned. This leads to the physical return of Jesus to earth, Christ to earth, the total defeat of the end of the beast, and the total defeat in the end of Satan. All of this makes it clear that this section is the turning point in Revelation, which moves from recapitulation of sinful human history to the future and final events of the end of all evil and the coming of the kingdom of Yahweh down to earth. From this point on, the text is clearly speaking of future and final coming of Jesus Christ, which will bring the restoration of the Garden of Eden on earth. This is where you can begin to go out of the bitter. I feel like I'm going to puke reading all this judgment into the celebration. And there still will always be a bitterness there, even this celebration, because there are people that we love who ended up in the kingdom of the beast. But there's still this ultimate victory and praise for Christ's return. So chapter 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke to me. Come, he said, I will show you the condemnation, the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed sexual immorality, and the earth's inhabitants got drunk with the wine of her immorality. So he carried me away in the spirit to the wilderness, and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, or red beast, and was full of blasphemous names, and had seven heads and ten horns. Now the woman who was dressed in purple and scarlet clothing and adorned with gold, precious stones, and pearls, she held in her hand a golden cup filled with detestable things and unclean things from her sexual morality. On her forehead was written a name, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, and of all the detestable things on earth. I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of those who testified to Jesus, and I was greatly astonished when I saw her. But the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will interpret for you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast you saw was and is not, but is about to come up from the abyss and then go to the destruction. The inhabitants of the earth and all those whose names were not written on the book of the life since the foundation of the world will be astounded when they see that the beast was and is not, but is to come. This requires a mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains the woman sits on they are also the seven kings, five have fallen, one is, and the other has not has not yet to come, but whenever he does come, he must remain for only a brief time. The beast that was and is not is himself an eighth king and yet is one of the seven and is going to destruction. The ten horns that you saw are the ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom but will receive ruling authority as the kings with the beast for one hour. These things have a single intent, and they will give their power and their authority to the beasts, and they will make war with the lamb, but the lamb will conquer them, because he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and those accompanying the lamb are the called, the chosen, and the faithful. And to this point you say, thank you, angel, for that very clear explanation of what this is. Okay? It's like... The reality is that it it's like Daniel chapter seven. He's like, I'll explain this to you. And you're like, da, da, da. And You're like, that doesn't make it any clearer. But here's what you can hold on to: He will make war with the Lamb, but the Lamb will kick his rear in. Okay, that's what you can hold on to. That's the promise. One of the angels shows him a vision, and this is of a woman writing the beast. There are some who say the prostitutes of the Catholic Church. Or the apostate church, apostate meaning the believers who are falling away from Christ and kind of aren't exactly a believer anymore, or they were and lost their salvation, or they never were, but look like they were, depending on what view you take. Or the unfaithful Jews or Jerusalem. Okay, So they they will point to people of faith, the Jews who are of faith, the Christians who are of faith, or the Catholic church, and they've gone apostate. They've fallen away from God. There's a problem with this. First, the prostitute is called Babylon, and the name Babylon is never used of believers. It has never all throughout the Bible ever been used of believers, apostate believers, people who used to be believers, people who look like they're believers but not, false teachers, none of that. Babylon has always, always been referred to the absolute wicked, decrepit, anti-God systems of the world, nations, systems, ideas, worldviews, philosophies, whatever you want to call it. So this cannot be apostate, it cannot be the Catholic Church. Second, she is said to rule over all the kings of the earth earth, which has never been said of the believers. Believers have never ruled over anything politically ever. And all the kings. There have been some little local things here and there and that kind of stuff. And if you believe the handmaiden's tale, it's really been always the church controlling everything, but that's not true. The Catholic Church really hasn't. You know the Holy Roman Empire? It was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. Discuss, okay? Um, it never really was like anything really major politically. And even today, like the Catholic Church is now pretty pathetic when it comes to power and influence. And this has had to make a lot of futures rethink their views on a lot of things. This isn't making some people rethink because they put so much stock in the Catholic Church that it doesn't really look like that anymore. This rules over all the kings of the earth. That has never been true of any kind of Christian apostate believers, used-to-be believers, whatever, 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 ever. Third, there has never been a time when Jerusalem or the Catholic Church has ruled over the nations. So I can already mention that. So this is the world. Okay? This is the kingdom of the beast. Lots of people have said that the prostitute language is what makes them think that it's a Christian apostate. Now, first, when she's called a sexual prostitution, this does not refer literally to sexual prostitution. He's not going after people who are sexually unfaithful. It is symbolic of idolatry. We've already talked about this multiple times. You can see this in multiple passages in Isaiah and Ezekiel. Specifically, the book of Hosea makes this clear. But it's likened to the great city. The prostitute is connected to the great city. We've talked about this. The great city is always Babylon. It's always the kingdom of the beast. It's always the kingdom of the world. It's a secular kingdom. The more immediate background to the symbolism is Isaiah 23, 16 through 17, where the pagan city of Tyre is called the forgotten prostitute. And in Nahum 3, 4, where the city of Nineveh is the prostitute. So this is the more immediate background. The church, the Jews who go after idolatry are sometimes called prostitutes in the Bible. However, when we're dealing with political entities, so God will call Israel when they're unfaithful prostitutes sometimes, and an idolatry spiritual sense. But when it talks about politics... It's referring to Babylon, the world system. And so I'll repeat that again. Isaiah 23, 16 through 17. Tyre was the great political um, pagan nation north of Israel, and they're called prostitutes. They are prostituting themselves after other gods. And Nahum 3, 4 refers to Nineveh, the Assyrian Empire, the capital of the Assyrian Empire in the north, and Euphrates, when they come down to get Israel, as the great prostitute as well. So is use of any time that you sell yourself out for some false entity, false god or idol that you believe that it will make you happy. 666. This language, when it's used of politics, refers to pagan, non-Christian, non-believers, non apostates entities. And so we should see this woman as the world, the empire. This is not Christians who have sold out To the beasts. This is another part of the beast. This is another part of the beast. Enthroned by the waters would be the system of canals of the Euphrates River, besides which the historical city of Babylon. So, this can metaphorically refer to the fact that Babylon sat by lots of rivers. There was a major river, the Euphrates River, but it had multiple canals breaking off of it. And it was known for these fingering canals. And so it sits by the waters would make everybody think of Babylon. But once again, Babylon doesn't exist anymore. So this is the metaphor. So what are the waters? The chaos of the people. The chaos of humanity. So we're then told by the angel later that these waters are the nations, the peoples, the languages. So this becomes very clear that the waters are not literal. The woman, There's not literally a woman riding a beast. And nor are the waters literal. They are of the people, the nations, and the languages. And the idea is that this is chaos. Remember, all of humanity was united together at the Tower of Babylon. And God says, if this is what they are all able to accomplish when they get together, enthroning and and enshrining themselves, then there's no end to the rebellion that they can create. So he scattered them into multiple languages so that they cannot unite together and create this huge system. Every time a nation gets bigger and bigger, we do more and more destruction. And so what God is saying is that speaking multiple languages is a curse. Now that doesn't mean if you know multiple languages, you're a bad person, you're cursed. It just means the difficulty in communicating is a curse from God to keep us from uniting in our horrid beastliness. Yet... In Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, God brought the Holy Spirit down and everybody began to speak without learning the language and everybody heard it because the Holy Spirit is not chaos. And if they accept the gospel, we become united through the Spirit and we're able to actually create life and light. God does ultimately want to undo the speaking multiple languages, but not in the worldly sense through Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So the world, these waters represent the world. They represent humanity. So this is the spiritual idolatry of the world, going after other things other than God. And all the kings of the world participate with her, because there's not one nation in all of human history that has not gone after idolatry or sought after power for the sake of its own sake, for the oppression the exploitation of all the people. So he carried me away, and the in her habits, got drunk with the wine of her morality. She offers the wine of her immorality to the people, and they get drunk. So this wine represents the seductive lure of the Babylon, of the woman, offering you power, enlightenment, godhood, power, control, whatever you want to call it. So he carried me away in the spirit to the wilderness. And there I saw the woman sitting on the scarlet beast. He is carried away into the wilderness. And remember, the wilderness is a place of barrenness for the sake of testing and trials. But it also can be a place of uncleanliness and demonic deception. It is in the wilderness where the demons wander around. In fact, there's this weird passage in Numbers where God says, sacrifice the goat and give it over to Aziel." as he yells the name of a demon you're like okay what's going on there and that's a much bigger issue but we're not going to talk about that so but it has the idea that the wilderness contains these demonic spirits and that kind of stuff and so she is out there with all them living it up like they're all best buds and she has a wine cup we already talked about this and there's a woman scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names she had seven heads and ten horns now this takes her back to the beast Remember that beast had seven heads and ten horns. That means that she is like the beast. She is a part of the beast. She's a carbon copy of the beast in some kind of way. Yet they're distinct. So there's a similarity between them, but there's a distinction between them. So think Venn diagram, and we will talk about that. And these seven heads represent completion, and the ten horns represent power and authority, which goes back to kingdoms. Now, the woman was dressed in scarlet and purple clothing. These were very, very wealthy fabrics, very wealthy fabrics, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. So she is just flaunting her aud- audaciousness, her, her luxury, her, her, her enticement, her beauty, um, the frivolousness, that kind of stuff. And the idea is that it's glamorous. It's seductive. It's attractive. It's the shiny statue of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It is beautiful. It's seductive. It's powerful. It entices you to want to be a part of it. And she is doing the same thing. And she lures people to her. And the woman dressed had a golden cup filled with the detestable things and the unclean things from her sexual morality. Unclean always represents sin in the Bible. Unclean either is the result of sin, like sinning, or by, like you become unclean because you are a sinner, or it's the result of sin, like dead bodies. If you touch them, you're unclean. If you have a skin disease, you're unclean. Not that having a skin disease or touching a dead body makes you a sinner, but that thing would not exist unless, without sin being in the world, and that thing has become unclean and dangerous to your health because of sin in the world. This unclean refers to also spirits, evil spirits, the unclean spirits that possess people. Jesus casts them out. Um, Luke uses the word unclean a lot when he's talking about the Gospels. It blinds. When they drink, they get blind on the alcohol. We know what alcohol does to people. It makes them dumb. And it blinds them not only to her reality that she is truly like death incarnate and she's just going to destroy your life but she looks pretty and beautiful and seductive and a powerful control kind of a sense, and it blinds you to the reality of that, but it also blinds you to the reality of who God is, that God is just, that God is loving and has more to offer than she does, but also is just and will deal with those people. Every single time a spirit comes and visits somebody and begins to talk to them, within two to three visits of this spirit, or you can call them demon to be more accurate, but the world just calls them spirits. They usually say there is no judgment in the afterlife. Everyone will go to the same place. You can become your own god and master of your own life. And that's the seductiveness offering that. But she also looks like the bewitching demonic women of Greek mythology. Okay, the sirens. Remember, the sirens are like the mermaid looking creatures or the females, and they like seduce you with their music and draw you to the rocks so you crash upon them, and then they cannibalize and eat your flesh. And it's also the logo on the mascot of Starbucks. <laughs> Got to ask Starbucks, why did you pick the siren as your logo? Could you be saying something? And on her forehead, she bears blasphemous names, mocking, and, 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 and um, um, Trash talking Christ and God and all that kind of stuff. And the mystery of her name and character is hidden in the past with typology. But it is unpacked in this new vision. For those who are sealed in the land refuse to submit to her, she attacks and kills. She then becomes drunk with their blood, which drives her to kill even more. And so the wine is not only the wine of intoxication that leads you into stupidity and idolatry but it also becomes the blood that she's drinking of the believers that she's killing and destroying, which then just maddens her even more. And in this sense, she is like a In the Canaanite mythology, there was Baal, who was the god, who was dominated like kings and Gideon's life and that kind of stuff. And he was married to his sister slash wife, <clears throat> who was a And a was portrayed as a goddess of war and love. And she was portrayed as going out and cutting the heads and the hands off of her enemies and tying them around her waist and neck like a necklace and belt. And her tongue is hanging out as she's cackling with joy and intoxication from killing people. And she's wading up to her knees in the blood of her victims and even licking the blood up and going into this psychotic, frantic frenzy of just killing and bloodshed. And this was the wife of their most revered God. Okay? So that says something about you. That's why cutting off of heads and hands was a big deal among the Canaanites, because you will act like what you worship. And this is why David then goes out and does the same thing with Goliath, because you're a product of your culture. And so we see this over and over again as we go through the First Testament. Mm-hmm. Then when we get to, um, in Hinduism, they have this same goddess, Kali. Kali has often portrayed that, cutting the head off of her husband and carrying it around and that kind of stuff. And we see this with even figures in Greek mythology and Roman mythology. And the idea is that God is taking these ancient biblical gods with these new Roman gods with the idea of the biblical beast of Daniel 7 and all these ideas and the prostitute and he's just merging it together in a conglomeration. Of one thing, of one thing. Everything is coming to its conclusion here. So, who is this woman? The dragon is Satan. We've been clearly told that in chapter 12. The dragon, who is the devil, who is Satan, who is the serpent, the deceiver of the world. Is Satan the demonic world which seeks to deceive and entrap and destroy humanity as Yahweh's precious image? Is the demonic world that is after you? That is the dragon. But then the dragon empowers the beast. The beast is the ungodly world, which is willing to submit and align itself with the satanic and ungodly ideologies, philosophies, and worldviews. This produces unrighteous political, economic, and social systems that the world's beastly governments, institutions, and corporations are then built upon. So the beast then represents the world, the world philosophies, the ideologies, the idolatry, And then we see that, and we then build institutions into, around these, and with these ideas. Governments, politics, media, um, corporations, all kinds of stuff. The woman is a symbol for the state and all of its alluring seductiveness. Babylon, the prostitute, is the seduction and allurement of the satanic world, enticing the human world to abandon Yahweh and to sell out to the beasts. She is the adornment of media, propaganda, economic comfort, political power that denies freedom to the individual and tries to seduce the secular society, which is already rebelling against Yahweh, and to committing impious acts, unjust oppression, and wickedness that will ultimately lead to its death. It is the widespread systemic evil and satanic pagan idolatry of humans and their institutions that turn them into heartless and devouring beasts due to the corruption and misuse of power. I like that for a lot of bad words together. I worked hard on that paragraph. The dragon represents the demonic world led by Satan. The beast represents the ideologies and the world views and the systems and the politics and the governments and all the stuff that we build into it. And the woman represents all the seductiveness the beautiful women that dance around the Super Bowls or the music videos or on stage and, and the beautiful men and, and the powerful men and Calvin Klein and Glamour Magazine and, and also represents the pla- politically powerful people who seem like they have these big houses with all this money and multiple yachts and great vacations. And it's, it's all those things that we look at and we say, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. The woman is, the prostitute says, come, come, look. Comfort, entertainment, luxury, relaxation. And I guarantee you, you will never be rejected again if you have this. And you will never feel powerless ever again if you have this. And you will never be oppressed or hurt ever again if you have this. And she lures you. And when she lures you, then you realize you have to sell out to the beast. And the beast is the corporation. You have to sell your soul to the corporation and put 70 or 80 hours in a week and begin to buy into their ideology and their HR policies and all that kind of stuff and inclusiveness or whatever, whatever, whatever. The woke machine, whatever it is. You have to work this hours. You You have to look the other way and not call out the company for what it's done. And if you try to blow the whistle, then we're going to make you feel like a horrible person. Or it's the government that says you have to do this and this and this. And if I scratch your back, you scratch my back and you owe me, right? It's all that stuff. You realize you have to begin to sell out to the beast and its ideologies and become like it. And the entire time the demonic world is just saying, we've got you. We've got you. Because now you're not invested in your family and you're not invested in God. And that's all we care about. And Satan's like, I don't care if I have to make you poor to curse God. I don't care if I have to make you stinking filthy rich to curse God. That's all I want. Satan can make you poor. He doesn't care. If if you're the kind of person who becomes more godly when you're poor, then he will bring you wealth. If you're the kind of person who becomes more who who curses God when you're when um, or whatever the opposite, my brain is like, then he will do that. He will make you healthy if that keeps you away from God. He will make you sick if that keeps you away from God. That's all he cares about. And this is how they all three work together. The woman is the seduction, the beast is the politics and the corporations. And the dragon is Satan behind the whole thing. And they're all luring you, and they're all enticing you. And this is why the Bible says your greatest enemy is the world, which is the beast, the dragon, the flesh, the thing that is attracted to the prostitute that rides the beast, and the devil, the dragon. That's what you have. The dragon is the devil, the beast is the world. And the woman is the thing that your flesh is seduced to, wanting to be a part of. On her forehead was written the name a mystery. The mystery is no longer a mystery, it has now been revealed. And on her head, remember this is the anti Shema. The anti Shema of Hero Israel, the Lord your God, is one. And you shall know that God is before me, Deuteronomy 6 4. And you shall bind this. Deuteronomy 6.5, to your forehead and your hands and your doors. And so on her head is written the great mystery. Babylon, the great, the mother of prostitutes and of all the detestable things of the earth. That's who she is. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of those who testified to Jesus. And I was greatly astounded when I saw her. But the angel comes to me. This is the first time that an angel ever comes when Revelation explains the meaning of something. Interprets her vision. We saw that earlier in chapter 7 when he saw the great multitude and he's like, the angel says, like, who are these? And John says, like, well, I don't know. You tell me. And he tells them. But that wasn't a vision. That was like John seeing things. This is an actual metaphorical vision happening. And so the angel explains the beats. Once was, now is not, and yet will come up. Now that's a little confusing. Once was, but now it's not, and it will come back again like a jack in a box So it was here, we shoved it back in, but it's going to pop out again one day. This is a threefold description Is not meant to help anyone know when the beast is going to appear. I don't believe that this is like, because that's confusing, and that doesn't offer any help whatsoever. But what you will notice is that this follows the same structure of Yahweh who is and was and is to come. It's an anti-Godhead eternality statement. It's saying that just like God is, the beast is going to try to emulate that. Remember, the devil is an angel. A devil comes masquerading as an angel of light. He is always going to be copying, counterfeiting God in some kind of way. Also, the now is not, yet will come up out of the abyss is a character of the death and resurrection of Christ. With both of these statements, it's a mockery of the Trinity. These are anti-Trinity of the who is and was and is to come. And this is a mockery of Christ, of his coming down to earth and ascending back up again. The beast desires to take the place of Yahweh in the hearts of humanity. But in the end, his rising up out of the abyss starts the clock for his destruction. And there will be no resurrection for him. This threefold description is repeated, but the last statement is altered to yet is about to ascend, which means before he goes to his destruction, he must ascend to power over the world. This will amaze the world and they will want to follow him. Now, this is what you need to understand. The devil is always playing this trick. If I stay behind the scenes too much, the world may not follow me enough away from God. But if I reveal myself too much, they might be too horribly horrified and reject me and run away. And so there's this game of how much of the curtain does he pull back, so to speak. And the more and the more the world gives themselves over to him, the more and more he can reveal himself for who he really is. And that's what we're saying. A lot of you have grown up a long time ago. Listen. The greatest generation ever back then was not really the greatest generation, okay? I'm not knocking on them. I'm not saying they're all horrible people. Every generation has good people. Every generation has its horrible people. But the difference was there was just a different culture. There was a strong Judeo-Christian morality that permeated things very well. But it didn't change a lot of people from acting the way that they were going to act. It just meant that it was less socially accessible. The hearts of humans were not better back then. The things that were happening back then were not, like, better. It's just it was not as socially acceptable to come out. But if you go back to the speakeasies, not good stuff happening there. If If you look at the racism that was in America, not good. The separate but equal, not good. The things that we did in World War II and in Vietnam War, not good. All kinds of stuff. Emotionally disconnected families who didn't really talk about things very much. Not that every family was like that. The the, the hippie movement, the cultural anti... Like, there's lots of things you can say that's not good. But there was just such a strong Judeo-Christian value that it just couldn't come out in the open as much. Because most people would be like... no, or they would, when they're really truly doing it, but they don't want to be known as doing it. But as this becomes more and more acceptable, because it will, then th- when people like find other people, like, oh, you're doing this too, oh, you're doing this too, and then the ideas start flourishing, then they start revealing themselves more. And when they start revealing themselves more, then they can openly speak out, which means they can start can- taking control of the minds of your kids even better. Thus, media. Remember MTV, the president of MTV, actually ran a commercial back in the early 90s that said, at MTV, we don't aim for your kids, we own your kids. And George Harrison of the Beatles said, the whole point of my sweet Lord and other things was to sneak up on you and brainwash you. And I'm going after your kids because if I get your kids, then I own the world, so to speak. I mean, they came out and said this. Timothy Leary said, we're brainwashing you. When they start doing this, then they start owning your kids and then they can get braver and braver. So what you're seeing is what has always been there. It's just now less taboo, which means it becomes even worse. So don't get me wrong, it is getting worse. But it's not getting worse because it was never there. It's just getting worse because it's now socially acceptable. And listen, I, this is not a political issue, but the law that we just passed in Ohio allowing for abortion, that's a moral issue. And what's saddening is like, listen, politics is not going to change the world. What you vote is not going to change anything. Politics is a reflection of the culture. Politics does not change culture. culture reflects, politics reflects culture. And we saw that. We saw that abortion has been legal for a long time because politics said it's okay. But we didn't really know what the heart of the people were. And in the election, it was revealed that most Ohioans said they're okay with babies' parts being ripped off of their bodies inside the woman's body and blended up and killed and taken out, even all the way up to the day before the pregnancy. And most people said they're okay with that. And that's because we're now braver and braver to come out and say, I'm okay with this. And the more braver we are to come out with this and say, I'm okay with this, the more people are going to be influenced to think that way as well, which means more and more people will do that. Okay? It's always been there. It's just more and more people are accepting it because of the pervasive education that is going on. And so the devil can reveal himself more and more and more. But the more he reveals himself, the easier it is to cut off his head too. And that's what God is saying. When he is hiding behind the scenes, he cannot be conquered so to speak, because he's under the current. But God says, I'm going to allow him to ascend fully because it is then that I can expose him for who he really is and what really has truly been behind everything all along. And then I can cut the beast's head off and deal with him finally. And not that God can't cut it off before that, but that's just not how he's choosing to do it. And it makes it easier for the church too, because there's a lot of people a lot of people voted for abortion, mostly because I don't think they really, truly, fully understand. And if anything, this election, this the this, this issue one, did not reveal, I think, completely how many people are okay with it. I think it revealed how powerful the media is at deceiving people. I That's what it really revealed. I mean, if that gives you any hope that that many, I don't really think that many people are really okay with abortion. I think it's just the media is that powerfully convincing. Because if you talk to most people, they have no idea what that document really said. They have no idea. And they don't, a lot of them, when you show the Australian um, evangelist, Ray Comfort is beautiful. He goes around showing abortion videos. And when the minute people see the videos, they're like, holy crap, I'm not for that. So that says something. That says something. So I know that's a digression, but I'm just using that as an example. Of that this is what the beast is. This is how it's coming up. And God's saying, I'm going to allow it to expose itself. And it's going to look really scary. And it's going to get worse for a while. But then I'll cut the head off. Then I'll cut the head off. We're told that this beast, this woman, sits on the seven hills. Or the seven mountains. The seven mountains. This can also be translated hills. But the word should be understood as mountains. Everybody reading this in the first generation would immediately thought Rome, because Rome was famously known throughout the world and in history as a city on the seven hills. And that was what's known. No other place is known as that, as so powerfully. Maybe in like Pennsylvania somewhere, um, but in some back farm, but not like worldwide known for that. Seven mountains. So this is Rome. But I don't think, remember, this is just a typology. I believe that these original things were just typology for future kingdoms to come and come and come. And now, how do we see this? They are the seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. But whenever he does come, he must remain for only a brief time. If you say that this is only the Roman Empire, then it's hard because who in the world are these? There are no Caesars that match up with this in any kind of a way. And the Predators have tried so hard. And none of the Predators, like literally almost none of the Predators agree with each other. Which just shows you how vague this is. The Catholic Church doesn't represent this in any kind of way. It could be some future thing. But then like, what's the point of telling us that? I mean, unless God says, and the first one is Russia. And the second one is the United Nations. And the third one is like, Ukraine or whatever like right unless he gives a specific nation this could almost match up with anything as we're going throughout history into the future and You're not going to know until it's all done and over with and by then the seven years are over with So what was the point in telling you this in the to begin with? I mean if this is all future Then you're not going to know until all those seven years are done and over with so what was the point even telling you this? I don't think the idea is that we're supposed to identify particular kingdoms Okay, because one, we're told that there are many kingdoms. I think the idea is saying is that some of these beastly nations have already passed. Some are already here, and some are yet to come. And notice it says the seventh is yet to come, meaning the final one. But there's an eighth one coming too. And you're like, wait, what? The eighth one? There's only seven heads. And if there was eight heads, why didn't you talk about that? Like, shouldn't it be there's eight heads and and, and and five have fallen and one is and then two are yet to come? Because there's eight. But instead he says, five have fallen, one is and one is yet to come and then goes a little bit further. Oh no, by the way, there's an eighth one. He's still coming too. And I think the idea is that they're just always coming. They're always coming. Five have already come. there have already been... Empires and empires, and empires that have risen up. They have conquered the world, oppressed people, genocide, slaughter, da da da, da 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 And they're gone. But then there's always one here, Rome. For us, it's whatever. And then there's another one yet to come. And what? Just when you thought that this is the end and this is the final one, and oh wait a minute, there's another one coming too. Because right, how many times have people said this is it? For two thousand years, people have said this is it. This is the end of the times. The six-day war in Israel. This is it. And then it wasn't. And then there's another one. Oh, this is it. And then it wasn't. Oh, this is it. Now we justify it by at least I'm not prophesying, predicting that it's going to come in the next five years, but that's still what we've been doing over and over and over again. And I know currently what's happening in Israel is another big one, and they might be right. But then when it's all done and over with, then it will be revealed that it's wrong. But we won't know until till it either leads to something climactic or it gets done and over with and everything goes back to the same. And I mean the same and just, not like everything will be hunky-dory again, but just no more conflict. And we won't know until this is all done and over with. They're like, oh, that's the seventh one. But then we realize, oh, mate, hey, there's actually an eighth. And I think that's the idea that's being communicated. There's always gonna be another one, another one, another one, another one, until the beast is so fully revealed that God is going to cut the head off and there are no more, period. And whatever these kingdoms are, I don't think the point is to try to figure it out. And you can disagree with me, but I still love you and I'm still your brother in Christ. The real question is, do you still love me? I think the idea is just like when he gets a fatal wound to one of the seven heads, and then it looks like it heals, and there's another head that's still alive, it's Hydra. You cut one off, and another one appears. And I think that's the idea, because the only one that can truly kill the beast is Christ. That's it. The ten horns go back to Daniel chapter 7. They cannot be the Roman rulers, because we saw this in Daniel 7. Satan is the constant that keeps moving throughout history. I think the idea is that no matter what's happening, Satan is the constant. Empires will rise and empires will fall, but Satan is always the constant. And that's the idea. That's the idea. And he has many heads, and they come up all at different times, but they all are connected to the same body, Satan. Verse 14, I'll repeat it again because no matter what we believe and how we disagree, we all can agree this. They will make war with the Lamb, but the Lamb will conquer them because He is Lord of lords and kings of kings and those accompanying the Lamb are called the chosen and the faithful. That's the main point. Verse 15, Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute is seated are the peoples, multitudes, and nations and language. The ten horns that you saw and the beasts, these will hate the prostitute and make her desolate and naked. This shows you that the beasts and the prostitute are ultimately different. They're distinct from each other. They will consume her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put her into the mines to carry out the purpose by making a decision to give their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And as for the woman you saw, she is the great city, which is Babylon, that has sovereignty over the kings of the earth. Once again, rules everything. So what God says is how is God ultimately going to destroy the woman? By making the beast turn on her. And devour her and I think the point is no matter what empire or nation that's in control how do they usually fall they turn on each other and they eat each other they eat their own and we can see this there's so many people of the cancel culture the cancel culture is huge in America right now in a social media sense and I've seen people in media where they have gone after people and they've canceled right Because right now, it used to be that tolerance meant we agree on this, this, and this, but then there's a bunch of things that we don't agree on. But as long as we can, you have evidence for what you believe and I have evidence for what I believe. Both of our opinions are valid. Somebody's right and somebody's wrong, or both are wrong, but I'm going to agree to disagree. We're still friends because that's what tolerance means. I tolerate you, and that's kind of a, (laughs) I tolerate you (laughs) because I love you and we can still be friends. But now we've gone into, I have 50 million things on my checklist and we agree. Check, 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 check. And we're really good friends and we're going to go out together and cancel all the people that don't check off the list. But then it's our checklist is so long that one day we finally realize there's one thing you didn't check. And then they just turn on you and devour you and eat you and destroy you and cancel you. And I've actually read articles from these men and women in the media who have gone after people because they didn't match their 51 million things that you have to agree with them on, or they will cancel you, and they have destroyed people's careers and reputations, and they have patted themselves on the back. We have made the world a better place now. And then all of a sudden, the same thing that they're a part of turns on them because they find one thing about them— And they devour them and destroy them. And I've actually seen the interviews where they're like, this wasn't supposed to happen to me. I was on their team. We all agreed with each other. Except for that one thing where you just hadn't gotten down to 51 million and two down there. And that's what happens. And that's what we're seeing. But not only that, we've seen this, right, in movies. We're like, they're all like buds in this Kabbalah or conspiracy to take over people. And then they get caught and they need to find a fall guy. And they're like, ship that guy to Alaska. So nobody can ever talk to him. And then we'll find this other guy to take the fall for us, right? And the guy's like, what the heck? And we've seen this over and over and over again. Okay, we've been seeing this with big tobacco where they found fall guys, that kind of stuff, all kinds of stuff. And this is what happens. And this is what God says. Ultimately, the day will come where I'll turn the whole dang system on itself. And they will just destroy each other until there's nothing left. And we've seen that in world history, too. The Roman Empire fell apart because they just started turning on each other. There are TV shows that are, there are bands like Fleetwood Mac or Abba or something like that where they all just end like, up... Beatles, where they all just end up turning on each other and then they devoured each other until they didn't have any fame anymore. I think this is the idea that's being communicated here is that God is ultimately going to use its own unstable foundation to collapse the whole dang thing. He's not going to just cut the head off. He's going to cut the feet out from underneath them as well. And they're just going to bite each other as they go down like a bunch of piranhas. This is the fall of the beast. Because God says in Romans 1, he gave them over to their own desires. And eventually he will give the world to his own desires and it will collapse.